Good morning. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word as we read from the book of Psalms. So read Psalm 89, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 19 through 26, and also from the book of Romans, chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. No enemy will subject him to tribute. No wicked man will oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. Paul, writing to the church in Rome. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Yes, this is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God, indeed. You may be seated. Breaking news out of Raleigh, North Carolina. This story seems like at Christmas there's always some kind of story that takes place that, that, that becomes controversial. The one North Carolina family would have never thought a cross being used as a Christmas decoration would be a point of contention for their neighborhood. The Faison family says the cross is a symbol of hope, and they're not taking it down despite what their homeowners association says. James Faison and his wife have lived in their community for five years. This Christmas, they put up a six-foot cross in their yard. The homeowners association then sent the family a letter saying the cross is not considered a Christmas decoration, but for Easter or Passover, so it needed to be removed or pay a $100 fine. When the Faisans questioned the violation, the Homeowners Association responded, asking for scripture to connect the cross and Christmas. Despite their confusion, the Faisans provided biblical references to connect Christmas and the cross. This is what the Homeowners Association sent them. I did share your response with the board, and several members of the board are devout Christians and are intimately familiar with the cross being the foundation for which Christianity is based. The cross represents the death of Jesus Christ who died for our sins so we can have eternal life. The Christmas season is associated with the birth of the Savior, such as nativity scenes would be appropriate representation of the season. 
The board believes that the Bible is very clear on the distinction between these two major events in Christ's life on earth. The cross is appropriate for display during the Easter season, but not as a decoration during the Christmas season. Unless biblical references can be provided, rooting, noting the cross as a symbol of the Christmas season for the board to reconsider, the cross is not considered to be a Christmas decoration. So let it be written. I hear both, both of these groups, both are people who claim to know Christ and the biblical reasons for his coming. Yet they disagree about the appropriateness of the cross as Christmas decoration. But is, is there a disconnect between Christmas and the cross? Not if you really understand the meaning of Christmas in fact, it could be said that you can't really understand the meaning of Christmas apart from the cross. Listen to the angel Gabriel as he tells Mary what to name her child and who he will be. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And then Joseph, when, when the angel speaks to him, Joseph gets an explanation as to why he is named Jesus in Matthew one twenty one, She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And the way that he saves his people from their sins is, is by dying for them on a cross. Makes the, he, Jesus makes the exchange, the just for the unjust. And he is the champion of his people. So if the Christmas story, if the Christmas story is told properly, it has the shadow of the cross over the child born in the manger. Since Jesus is born to die. And the birth announcement to the shepherds was glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And then in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, it tells us how this peace comes about. It tells us that for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. This is Jesus, born to die. Grace... And peace come to Christ's people through his death. Through Christ, heaven and earth are made one. See, Christ's birth and his death, they have an effect. And our scripture, our scripture reading today, it tells us the effect is, is so that all nations might believe and obey him. So, this is why our scripture reading I, call, I say it's the perfect benediction to the advent of Christ. Because Christmas is God giving Christ as the perfect gift to humanity. The, and so, so the apostles' outburst of, of praise tells us the who, the what, 
the why, the how, that believing, of the believing and obeying him. So the who, the what, the why, and the how of believing and obeying him are here in this benediction. And when the gift of Christ is lived by the people of God, the true meaning of Christmas is made known to a world that's longing for love and for peace and, and unity. So let's meditate on this for a moment. The who. Verse 20, 25 says at the very beginning, Now to him who is able to establish you. The him that's able, the one who's able to do this is the eternal and only wise God. Verses 26 and 27 will tell us. And the God, of he's the God, see, the God, the nations are to believe and obey is the one who is able, eternal, and who alone is wise. Connie likes HGTV and these home renovation shows. And sometimes I watch them with her. And there's one show that she watches. It's called Help, I've Wrecked My House. You know, in the show, they come, you know, they, they come in, you know, to, to fix something that the homeowner has, has tried to build or, or repair themselves. But they, they find that they, they don't really have the skill. You know, you, you know how that works. I can do it. Well, <laughs> you know, you've never, you know, in the YouTube videos, no help. Yeah. They don't have the skill, they don't have the ability, they don't have the mind to finish the project they've started. And then in comes this contractor. And she comes to the rescue. And she goes to work reordering and remaking the house that they've wrecked. Well, the nations, the nations are, are they're all like that homeowner. They're all like that homeowner who's been trying to fix their homes on their own. And they've sought, they've sought to, to repair, to remodel, to, to renovate, but they've only made a mess. And none of them, none of them, none of them, not one has the power or the wisdom or the resources or the state of mind or the lawful permission to bring stability to their nations let alone the world. Not one is able to produce the peace, the love, the unity that the human heart longs for. Look at our nation. Out of the many calls for unity, but there's no power to produce it. Many calls for healing of of the land, but no real wisdom to bring it about. Our nation should cry, help, I've wrecked my house. Yeah, and the, and the, the, the eternal, only wise God who has the power, has the resources, has the state of mind, regardless of the circumstances or how bad you've messed it up, he can renovate it, remake our houses and, and establish us, make us stable. I love S.M. Lockeridge. He's an old, old African-American preacher. He's, he's passed away, but uh, he had a colorful way of describing God's ability to create. And he said this, S.M. Lockeridge said this, God came from nowhere and stepped out into nothing and spoke something into existence. The reason God came from nowhere was there was nowhere for him to come from. 
And coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing, for there was nowhere for him to stand. And standing on nothing, he reached out where there was nowhere to reach and caught something where there was nothing to catch and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. God is able. Hallelujah. He is able to establish you all. And he wants to repair the wreck we've made of the houses of our lives and our nations. But with what? But with what does he stabilize? What does he establish the houses that we've wrecked? What does he, what, what does he use? Well, Paul says this. Here's the what in verse 25 to 26. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. See, here it is. Here's the what. The what that the nations might believe and obey, Paul calls my gospel in the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Well, what does Paul mean by that? His gospel. See, back in Romans 1.1, Paul says that he is a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And then he goes on in verses 5 and 6. He says, through him, this Jesus, and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So Paul's gospel is one for which he's set apart, one for which he's been consecrated for and given this authority, this apostleship, namely to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And see, this setting apart, it happened in Acts while he was on his way to Damascus to to lock up the Christians. But Jesus Jesus stopped him, struck him blind, and sent him to Ananias. And Ananias is like, Lord, you know, I don't think I want to be around this man. You know, I've heard stories. And God says to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And Paul says, this is my gospel. And he goes on in, in, in Romans 16, that is, this, has been, this has been a mystery that's now revealed at the command of God. In Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, Paul unwraps this mystery. And it's the same mystery in Ephesians 3 and that he's talking about in Romans 16. In reading this, he says, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which, has made, which was not made known to men in other generations as it had now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. See, there it is. This mystery that, that God has now revealed through by his command, this mystery of Christ, this, the mystery of the gospel, is that the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. That Jew-Gentile relationship had been the archetype and is, and is for us the archetype of, of, of all ethnic relationships. And here it is, the scripture is telling us that God has made us one. 
So every Gentile in here should be thankful for the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Because of his gospel, which is God's gospel, which is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. So what this means is, is that it was always God's plan to save people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, he tells us how the scripture announces the gospel beforehand. He writes, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so you see, this peace and unity between the nations, it's at the heart of the gospel. It's not on the periphery, it's at the center. This is the what that the nations are to believe and obey. It's the mystery of the gospel. And now we've seen the who and the what, now we need to know the why. Because verse 26 says, tells us this. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. You see, the beauty of this text is that this is the command of the eternal God. This is God's desire. This is what God has ordered. This is what he has determined will take place. This is the command of the eternal God, and it brings about the healing of the ethnicities. And these are, you know, these are things that the prophets had preached at the command of God. Our Old Testament reading, it shows us this in, in Psalm 89, verse 4, where, where, this, where the psalmist says, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Well, what is meant by all generations? Well, as the little girl said, all means all, and that's all all means. See, both, so, so all generations, both Jew and Gentiles, every nation, everyone, every, <laughs> well, then, furthermore, the king that's here described in Psalm 89, it's more than Solomon, since what it says that God promises that he'll set, this king will set his hand on the sea. And the sea was to was to was to the to the Jews the the the, the symbol of of humanly unmanageable chaos. And by setting his hand on the sea, he would bring order to the sea. In Isaiah chapter fifty six, verse we won't look at that one. Verse three and six, it tells it speaks of foreigners who will bind themselves to the Lord. And this tells us that God has always desired. God has always desired that the nations become one through the message of the gospel. This is the good news. And as, and as the creator, he has moved all of human history to this glorious end. Faith and obedience to him. It's a beautiful thing. But as Charles Marsh points out in, in his book, The Beloved Community, the, the, yeah, the hardest part is not envisioning the end, but living in the sluggish between. <laughs> and that's true, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, the right now, living, living, living this end right now. That, yeah, that is precisely that sluggish between. That's where it needs to be believed and lived. That's the reason for the church. This is why Christ left us. This is why he, he, we, we're here. And the early church understood that. The early church understood that they purposefully pursued the unity of the ethnicities. Alan Crider in his book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, he, talks, he, he writes this as he describes that, that early church. He says, the Christians were a new family of brothers and sisters in Christ that members entered through baptism. The family was non-genetic, transnational, and Catholic or universal in every sense. In it, people who in the wider society were manifestly unequal, poor and less poor people, literates and illiterates, women and men, manifested their equality. In this bodily gesture, people who did not belong together experienced unity in a new bounded society. By means of the kiss, family members in the presence of God developed a habitus that expressed their love for each other. These were Ethnically united across lines of class in a countercultural movement of God. That was the church. The church did what, peop- what, what the world was longing for and wasn't able to produce. And, you know, and as our vision, you, know, you would think that we read Alan Carter's book, but we hadn't. We didn't. You know, Jonathan hadn't read it because it wasn't written at the time. He's <laughs> but he had the Bible. Hallelujah. No, no. And as a church, as a church, you know, it's, it's our vision and mission to love and serve our community and world with the good news of Jesus Christ, bringing people together across the lines of race and class to worship and follow Jesus. It sounds like we are seeking to do what they did in the first century. Does our century need it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And now we've seen the, the who, the what, and the why that all nations might believe and obey. But how? How? Verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, we know we can say, we can say, yeah, we've wrecked our houses. But to whom will we cry? Help. I've wrecked my house. Well, this text tells us to whom. And the last phrase of the text tells us that God, in his wisdom, is glorified forever through Jesus Christ. So how do we, how do we call the nations to faith and obedience? It, it's through Jesus Christ. He is our champion. You recall the story of David and Goliath? I'm sure you've heard it in Sunday school, maybe growing up, or you, you've read the story. You know, Goliath was the Philistines' champion. Now, champion warfare was, was, was not uncommon. It was not uncommon. A champion, see, you see, is a representative who, who stood for the armies. He stood for the whole nation. Hence, Goliath's charge, his, 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 his cry to the to Israelites. And the champion, see, the champion, if the champion is victorious in battle... All of the spoils of that war became the nations. And every, every, everything that, that was benefited in that victory. The defeated nation would become slaves of the, of the champion's nation. And thus the champion's victory is the victory for the whole nation. 
Their fame and, and their glory would belong, that whatever that champion's fame and glory is, it would belong to the nation as well. I mean, everyone in the nation would rally to the champion and look to him for the expression as, you know, they were, it was, they, they were, they were serving their gods. And, but, and, and that champion would be the expression of the, of that, their, their God's divine will. But Psalm 89, verse 19, said this. Once you have spoken in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted a young man from among the people. He's saying God has found a champion to conquer his enemies. And David is named in the passage, but and he was a champion for, for Israel. But we know from the description and the scope of the victory, that someone far greater than David is anticipated here. And we know who that is. We know who this, that our, our ultimate champion is Jesus Christ. Our ultimate champion. He, he is the fulfillment of Psalm 89. He's a, a better champion, a better king than David. And see, in his battle on our behalf, he overcame the enemies of, of sin and death by his cross and resurrection. As our champion, he stood in our place. His victory over sin and death is our victory. The wrath of God that fell on him, that brought us peace, the peace is now ours. That separation that was between us and God has been removed because of Jesus. And his glory is our glory. And the nations that come to faith in Jesus Christ, the peoples, the ethnicities that come to faith in Jesus Christ, rally to him. And it's only as we rest in the victory of our champion, Jesus, do we find the strength and the power to believe and obey. And this makes Christians, this makes Christians different from the rest of the world. You see, the church, the church that is pursuing the nations through faith and obedience is letting the world in on, don't you love, coming attractions. He's letting, here we are, it's a coming attraction. This is, this is what the church is. It's, it's coming attraction of the new heaven and the new earth. Don't you love it when you go to see a movie, you like to see the preview of what it is. You know, is it worth seeing? Is it worth my time? You know, yeah, the church is a, a coming attraction. Will Williman, he writes this, he says, Our lives are eschatologically stretched between the sneak preview of the new world being born among us in the church and the old world where the principalities and powers are reluctant to give way. In the meantime, which is the only time the church has ever known, we live as those who know something about the fate of the world that the world does not yet know. And that makes us different. Isn't that true? We are, we are serving, we're serving a different king. Yeah, you may be Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, or whatever. And you may say, I'm an American. My sovereignty is my own. And I express it with my vote. I don't have a king. Well, no, we're the church. We have a king. It's Jesus. And N.T. Wright, with this thought-provoking observation, his, his, this is true. He's right. He says, if the church divides along lines related to ethnic or tribal loyalty, it is still living in the world of Caesar. See, brothers and sisters, there's no disconnect between Christmas and the cross. Christmas reminds us 
that our champion has come and he came to die for us, to rise again for us, to ascend into heaven for us. And he reigns and rules over everything for the church. Everything he won is ours by faith. He's given us the gift of righteousness. He's given to us peace. He's given to us ethnic unity, joy, and everlasting life. And when the gift of Christ is lived by the people of God, the true meaning of Christmas is made known to a world that's longing for love, longing for peace and unity. And so we pray. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have given to us a champion who is our king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, God, enable our eyes to see him. Lord, even in the times in which we live, Lord, the sluggish between. Make us a glorious coming attraction to the community in which you've placed us for the glory of your name. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would.